This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 235. We're going to be talking about moving and home renovation, something both of us are going through to various degrees. We are both moving. Sarah is doing slightly more limited home renovation, though she is doing some. So Sarah, where are you in the house process right now? So right now we are, we own our new house. So that's exciting. We've closed. That part's all done. and. It actually was fairly painless, uh, so I'm very happy to report that that worked out. But we have not moved because as we did a walkthrough, we were thinking about just painting, but then at the very last second, kind of looked at the floor and decided that it was time to do the floor. And then speaking with multiple people, no spoilers for the rest of this episode, but apparently it's much better to do your floor before you live in said house. So our rental is flexible. And we can just give them a 30-day notice when we're ready to depart and end our contract. So right now we're in limbo. We're working on setting up the floor stuff, making our floor choices, and hopefully expediting that process so that we don't have to rent and own at the same time for too many months. Yeah. No, floors are all kinds of fun. We went with golden oak stain, in case you are curious. 
Are you doing carpet anywhere or just uh, just the? No carpet, but we are actually kind of like paralyzed with indecision about like wood versus luxury vinyl versus tile versus I don't even know. So <laughs> we did um, kind of find a great store that's local that I think made the whole process a little bit less confusing. So I'm happy about that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, having good people, you know, and you think will show up, it's all that good stuff. And you guys moved in, what was it? December, 2018, right? That's when you lost it all December, 2018. And we'll talk, we can talk about real estate later in the episode, but it, it's kind of hilarious how, how everything (laughs) ended up working out, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are in the process of selling our home, which is all kinds of fun as well. Um, (laughs) But we don't need to go too much into that since we have not, in fact, closed yet. So hopefully that will happen eventually. So we're going to do this episode in sort of Q&A format, questions for both of us to answer, such as required or, or makes sense with this. So the first question, why are both of you moving or why did you move? So Sarah, why did you guys decide to move? Okay, we decided to move this time around for a purely financial calculation type decision. We were renting and it was very reasonable. I think I disclosed on a prior episode that the rent came out to like 7% of our take-home pay. And I was like, you know what? This is great. No commitment. We had also come off a very stressed out and frustrating selling process. And we weren't excited to go through that again. Spoiler alert, if we had rented out that home, (laughs) let's just say that would have been a more advantageous financial position to be in right now. But the thing is, hindsight is very much 2020 and we had no idea. But it is rather hilarious to look at Zillow, which lists our Miami Beach home for like double what we sold it for two years ago. But you know, whatever. It is what it is. Okay. So in terms of right now, there's actually a great calculator via New York Times where you can put in different variables about your home and how much you're renting it for. And it will kind of spit out an equivalent mortgage. Like if you can rent for less than XYZ, then it's worth renting. And if not, then it makes sense to probably buy. And that calculator was always kind of equivocal for us. So we felt like, okay, not a huge like disadvantage to rent. We're comfortable doing it. Why not do it? Our rent went up hugely. In fact, South Florida is one of the places rents have gone up across the country, but South Florida has been one of the hardest hit areas with that. I think it was like 49% in certain areas of, of my, I know like crazy. And so it just no longer, the calculator like no longer worked. And then we paired that with the fact that we no longer have uncertainty about whether we like the neighborhood. We know we like the neighborhood. We moved here in part for the schools, which we're not currently attending, but we really just like the people. We like the safety. I like that I can go run even when it's dark and feel completely fine about that. So, and the location works really, really well for both of our jobs. And my husband is at a place where he feels confident that he really likes his job. So I already knew I liked my job, but like his was fairly new. So it was more uncertainty. So putting all of those variables together, it just made sense. We were very, I guess, kind of like casual looking for houses. We we went to a couple that like went on the market, but it was more like, I just put something on the list of like, Hey, if anybody's selling, like, let me know. And then the right thing just happened to come up and we went there and it fit. And so, yeah, we're doing it. And we are very excited to get, um, one extra room out of the deal that I guess is another, another part of it that we felt motivated to have each kid have their own room. Yeah. That was certainly one of our considerations. 
you know, we wanted the kids to have their rooms, you know, my husband and I to both have our own workspaces. And we had been semi looking, you know, the whole Zillow stocking, whatever, since we knew Henry was coming. And the issue, of course, is that there has never been that much on the market that is big enough and that is in our elementary school catchment area. So if we considered ourselves very, very location limited, that obviously limited our options a lot. So we had also engaged a firm to come look at our house, our old house, and to see what it would take to add two more bedrooms, like to do an attic conversion to put in two bedrooms and a bathroom in the attic. And we certainly could have done that. Like we had plans drawn up for it and we had thought about going for it. Like a COVID hit, we were trying to figure everything out. And in that, we wound up looking at this house that I'm currently recording from. The pictures, the real estate pictures did not look all that appealing to me. But then we elected to drive past it. And I have no idea like what they were thinking with the photos. Anyway, it looks so much better than, you know, it was conveyed from there. So we went and toured it. It needed a ton of work. That's why it had been on the market for so long. Eventually, we got the same construction firm to come in and look at it with us and to let us know, you know, what it would take to redo it and wound up going for it. But yeah, it's been a long process. We closed in November of 2020, which is after looking at the house in June. It just took a long time for negotiations and everything. Closed in November, started construction officially in March, but had done so much planning prior to that. And then moved in the first week of January of 2022. So, you know, a lot of time has gone by in the meantime, but, you know, it's going to be fun, I hope. (laughs) So the second question is, why renovate? Because everyone says it is so painful. Sarah, you are of the opinion that renovation is painful. Oh, I just find it like so boring. I don't know. Like my eyes glaze over when I walk into a Lowe's. I have decision fatigue immediately upon looking at colors of anything. I just, and my husband tends to be like somewhat opinionated, Mm. but also very slow to make said decisions. So (laughs) I think that just like makes it even worse because I would probably just be like, whatever, this, that, and this, let's move on. Like, but I can't totally do that (laughs) because I don't think that would fly necessarily. Although we did choose paint colors, at least online in about 30 minutes for the entire house. That's good. That's good. (laughs) So I don't know. But we did decide that, you know, the floors were kind of like outdated. And again, as I mentioned, it is just so much harder to do floors when you live in a home because there are parts you can't walk on. And we're planning to do like the kitchen and kind of like all the all the areas that would be high traffic in the house. We're not doing the bedrooms. The bedroom floors are actually excellent. They're wood. They're, they're already done. But yeah, we just feel like our hand is being forced. And painting just seems like a logical step. But other than that, we're not doing any major renovations. We're lucky that the people who lived there prior did a big renovation where they actually enclosed a big porch and they turned it into a, what they call it, a game room because mm. they were really into ping pong, actually. <laughs> okay. We are not using it as a ping pong room. We are using this kind of long, somewhat narrow room as a workout area slash office space for my husband and myself. We love what they did, yeah. but we didn't have to do it. Yeah. So it was great. <laughs> no, that's nice. I mean, obviously the Ideal would be to have something that is move-in ready, that is absolutely as you want it, in a good location. But in many cases, if there's anything that you are 
you may wind up paying quite a bit extra for that versus what it might cost to renovate, or you may not even get it. So in our case, the issue is that people do not build seven-bedroom homes. And so if you need home offices, if you need rooms for five children, like you can't have a five-bedroom home. Like you need seven bedrooms. And again, people do not build those. So we were either looking at buying land, which there are very limited plots in this elementary district, right? Like we're in an urb, like a very near end suburb. You you can't just buy land. And, you know, what it would cost to build something new is quite high. So, you know, I, I, I haven't totally run all the numbers. I mean, because we like this house too. Um, but if you wanted enough bedrooms, you're going to have to renovate something that already exists that was older, that was built when people did that sort of thing. And, you know, we we did like, honestly, everything to this house. We have a new roof. We have a new HVAC system. We have about 60% new windows, gutted the master suite in the kitchen, combined four like useless tiny rooms to make a playroom, you know, so repainted the whole house, redid all the floors, like everything. (laughs) There's all new toilets. I mean, it's just, well, because they were old and gross and not working, right? Like, I mean, you know. It sounds like one step from just a teardown. Yeah, but uh, well, you couldn't have torn the house down. I mean, that's because it's historically preserved. So (laughs) given that that's not an option, you had to redo basically the entire inside. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, you see this on the other end with selling. A lot of people sort of do lack a bit of imagination when it comes to renovation. Like, I mean, there are people who walk in and be like, I don't like the color of the paint. And you're like, okay, (laughs) I've, I've got an idea. You could paint it. <laughs> so That's so funny. That is so funny. Yeah. The minor cosmetic stuff. I remember I would make those kind of comments and my husband rolled his eyes. He's like, okay, calm down. Calm like, down. That's, like, you can, in fact, paint this room. You know, or wallpaper like, can like be mi- torn that down. That microwave's old. That microwave's like, old, okay. yes. <laughs> like, another thing that could very easily be swapped out or I don't like the oven. Like, guess what? You know, for a rather small amount of money, you can purchase a new oven, although they're hard to get right now because of various supply chain issues. But, you know, so I, I mean, yes, everyone says renovation is painful, but there, there are a couple of things you can do. I mean, one is just make sure you are adequately budgeting for it. Do not undertake any project where the estimated expenses you are getting are close to the maximum of what you can afford, because it is going to always cost more. And I have no idea why construction works this way. Like, why is this an industry where that is the accepted, like, way that it works, but it does. I mean, I can just, I can tell you it does. We we are not far off what our initial estimates were, but it's still more, right? Like there's just stuff that comes up and it is going to take more time. Again, not sure why construction is allowed to work this way. Like I don't get to just say, hey, my book is running a couple months later than expected and think everyone's going to be a-okay with that, but whatever, construction does work that way. You know, the crash jobs people see on HGTV, like there are things that have been like taped in place for the reveal. It doesn't go that quickly. Like even with people working around the clock that they do on some of those. And so. And I've read some really interesting like exposés on people who had those kind of HGTV flash renovations and like they didn't do key things so that it looked really good for five minutes, but like they didn't seal the floors or they didn't do this or that. It's like, well, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so probably <laughs> quality takes a little time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whatever. I mean, as long as you understand that going in, then you can 
just be annoyed by certain things as opposed to like horribly anxious when it costs more than, than you thought you do. But, you know. All right, let's take a quick break and then we will be back uh, on more on moving and renovation. Well, we are back talking moving and renovation. The next question, what can I do to keep it from being a complete nightmare? Is this what you're worried about with doing more extensive renovations? Like, I would be. I just, I don't have the bandwidth. Like, I don't want to have to call this person because this person broke this person. And, you know, I've heard like terrible stories about contractors who quit in the middle of the job and, and things like that. And it's very hard to like, once someone started something, if they mess it up, you're sort of stuck in a way. Yeah. And somebody else might not want to take that on or they might, but then they might be like, well, now I have to charge double what they even start. I don't know. My brain goes to a lot of worst case scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I can say is when you have, you know, a big job, like hiring a, a general contractor is almost always going to be a wise idea because, yeah, you don't want to be calling all the subcontractors and figuring out what goes first. Like, do I do the painting first or the floors first? I mean, there's not actually like there's there's a right answer, but you probably aren't going to know it, you know, because <laughs> you haven't done this before. And if you do this well, like, I mean, so they will warranty work as well. So we we had when I did the kitchen in my old house back in 2018, we had we repainted the cupboards and everyone had thought it would be a fairly simple job. And then for whatever reason, it was not, it had to be redone twice, but we never had to pay an extra cent for it because the price they had given us was the price it was going to be. And then, you know, the various subcontractors had to like redo it when they did it wrong that time, they brought somebody in again to like, you know, do it again. And so that's what you're looking for. If, if, and you can read this in reviews on, you know, I would definitely do your research when you're hiring a general contractor, like talk to anyone, you know, who has done a home renovation. Like if they liked their contractor, that is a great sign. <laughs> like, you know, you should be excited about that, you know, because they'll, they'll have relationships with all the subcontractors, the electricians, plumbers, painters, roofers, HVAC, carpenters, whatever it is you're doing. And they know what order it should go in. Yeah, there, there are definitely horror stories out there of all this. But, you know, so one thing you could do, again, is if you get bids from multiple places, keep in mind, if somebody bids lower, but they have worse reviews, like, don't actually go with that person because it's a fake number. Like, that's not what it's actually going to (laughs) cost. And so I would say you would prioritize good reviews, somebody having been in business for decades, maybe have been independently audited, various things, like any of that is going to be a far better sign than the actual price. This is somewhere where I'd say you don't necessarily want to go with the lowest bid, like go with something that seems reasonable, but is with somebody who's, who's reputable. Even so, like you're going to make thousands of decisions. I just, you just have to prepare yourself for it. <laughs> and decisions on things you probably didn't care about before, like the trim on the carpet on the um, stair runners and the shape of your, your drawer pulls. So yeah, it helps to be a satisficer where, you know, good enough is good enough because most things can, in fact, be changed if you hate it. Like, we repainted the bedroom, like the master bedroom, because I didn't like the color, so we had to repaint it. We did. It's fine. You know, the first coat had only gone on and they could just get the color in the second coat for a different color. It was all good. And, you know, the as, as what Sarah was saying, like, if you are doing group decisions, it might help to 
as we discussed with Eve Rodsky a few weeks ago, have complete ownership of certain areas. Like one party might be completely responsible for, say, HVAC decisions, and another party could be completely responsible for hardware and paint colors or something like that. You know, it where you wind up with problems is if one person is doing a lot of the legwork to make decisions and then the other person somehow winds up with veto power. I mean, that just is like, it's going to make for an infuriating situation because that's basically implying that the person doing the legwork works for the person who's making the veto decisions. And that's that's not a romantic relationship. That's just somebody's power trip. So I would get out of that situation if you're in it, like assign, you know, either refuse to do it or like hire somebody to make all the decisions who can then report to that guy or your girl or whoever it is. Who's? <laughs> I don't think that's our problem at all. I think I would gladly just not make any decisions. I just don't want like six months to go by where we're paying to live in two places. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, assign deadlines like, you know, listen, we need to get out. <laughs> That's why we moved in with the stuff still here. We're like, we got to get out of it, you know, eventually. Also, because when you're in a place, you see stuff that also then you need to do that you wouldn't have known about before and figure stuff out. So anyway. All right. Any practical tips? Wait, we forgot the satisfier oh, satis- Well, just, you know, if you good enough is good enough, right? Like if it really helps to get in your head that it doesn't have to be perfect. Most things can be changed. You know, it might be expensive, it might be a hassle, but they can, in fact, be changed. So if you have that in mind, then it turns down the pressure at least a little bit. You know, it's hard to bat a thousand. Like, again, if you're making a hundred decisions, like the odds that all of those are exactly right are just minimal. I like it. I like it. Don't try for perfection. But you're right. Having that open mindedness to like, eh, if I don't like that in five years, 10 years, whatever, that is something that could theoretically be changed or maybe by then you just won't care (laughs) exactly that's kind of how i feel about my shower tile at the moment i i don't like what i chose but whatever it's gonna grow on me and it's fine (laughs) it's a shower i mean there's some element of this like wow i built this bathroom from scratch i could have chosen any tile in the world and i chose this which i don't like like what was i thinking i don't know i think i felt like i had to make a decision (laughs) i'm gonna see this tile now (laughs) well maybe i'll put a picture up somewhere apparently it's really nice tile i don't know and it was like doubled in price since I chose it. So at least I got a good deal on it. But wow, and you could probably sell I could it, sell on it off my bathroom. <laughs> like come get chip it off. <laughs> Put something that's just plain white there instead. All right. So Sarah, you have done this. Any tips for moving locally? Like what are you guys doing? That's gonna. Yeah, I'm like trying to remember. I mean, last time we definitely had we didn't do any of the packing. We completely outsourced that. We did move a few things on our own. We could do a lot more of that this time because, I mean, last time our local move was like, you know, a 35-minute drive, and this time it's one mile. So I think we'll probably do some of that ourselves. I'm intrigued by, like, the unpacking service. I want to know how much that costs, although it's probably a bad idea because then they've decided where to put everything, and, like, you're probably going to have different opinions where you want things, and then you don't want to have to move things, like, re- you know what I mean? Like, oh, they they chose that closet to do that. I don't know. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, and also if you are getting different furniture, it like wouldn't even work because how would they know what to, you know, and we didn't even have all our furniture delivered. I mean, we still are getting stuff because we got rid of a fair amount of Ikea type particle board furniture that we had collected over the years that was just, um, 
it's recommended that you don't move it. We have moved some of our IKEA furniture multiple times and it has stood the test. Well, apparently you guys are good at it then, your construction. I got to say, like, yeah, I, Josh and I are waiting for the part, for like the part in life when we're too like fancy for Ikea. We like haven't gotten there. Sometimes we go West Elm Elm. and we're like, ooh, we're probably about 30 to 40% West Elm and the rest. I think it's because of the age of our kids. Like they still wreck everything. So why, why would I invest in like super nice stuff? I I I totally agree. A four-year-old who likes to adorn everything and scrape things and like, yeah. (laughs) Well, just. I mean, so yeah, I, I was intrigued by the unpacking as well, given how much time I've been unpacking. But I don't know. I think we did want to like go through it and choose places ourselves. And it, we're making progress. I mean, it, you know, and I, we say, do try to throw or out or donate as much as possible, like create a giant junk pile somewhere. I don't know, your garage, just, you know, label whatever furniture that is not going to make it that you're going to donate or sell, um, which again, you can't donate stuff that can't be sold. I guess uh, just a public service announcement here. If you are planning on donating something to a charity, they are not like giving people who are, who don't have furniture, furniture. Like what they do is they sell the furniture and then they give the money to people to use as they, you know, do or to support their programs or something. So if they can't sell it, they don't want it. So if it's like, I mean, you just can't donate garbage basically is our public service announcement here. So with that in mind, uh, you might want to create a junk pile of stuff or recycling pile and then call a junk hauling service that can then determine if it is junk, if it can be recycled, if they have a program for that. So, you know, that's the way to go with that. We did hire a packing crew to box up our stuff. It is expensive unless you're going to do this over a long period of time, like driving stuff to your your new house. It's, it's just going to be more work than you can do. But, and also I'd say give some compassion to yourself when you are then unpacking stuff that is in essence garbage, because it is impossible to have gone through all of it beforehand. And like, you just don't see stuff necessarily. And like, unless you did just Marie Kondo your entire house, you're going to wind up with things like, oh, I didn't know I had this many glass vases. Like you don't think to just like throw out or recycle glass vases necessarily, Um, And so you probably have them somewhere in a curio cabinet and then you wind up unpacking all of them. You're like, I just don't need this many vases. Like, so it just happens. It happens. The junk hauling service, I think, is underrated. Mm -hmm. Like people will, you know, keep stuff around for ages thinking that they're going to like haul it off themselves or figure out what's recyclable and what's not. And there are actually great services that will like sort that all out for you and take it all away. And it's like, for them, it's so easy. And for you, it's so much mental anguish because that's like literally what they do. It's it's a fairly competitive industry, actually, because you don't need a huge amount of of capital or whatever to to get into it. Like you need to hire a few guys and have a few trucks. (laughs) So probably there are a fair number of local companies. There's also like national franchises, you know, junk dogs or J dogs or whatever it is. Um, You know, there's one, I don't know if they're still in business. It was called like College Hunks Hauling Junk. That was around, uh, you know, there's just a lot of them. So definitely avail yourself of this possibility when you're doing. I would also ask your movers, like when you're getting bids on this, what items will be more trouble or expensive to pack and move than necessary? So often things like anything that is framed, they are going to wind up putting in a special framing box because they don't like they're not allowed to break things. So they don't know if it's like, they have to treat everything as valuable. And so if you framed some $20 poster you got at a museum in college, like 
just bring that over yourself. Like it is not worth a $20 box and a frame to, to bring that over. So, you know, do that. Probably lamps, like table lamps are another one that they're going to put so much packing around it because again, they are not allowed to break things. So if, if it's like a $10 thrift store table lamp that you got, just bring that over yourself because it's going to make you mad that you spent like $30 on the special box to get it over to your new house. Often live plants, they can't do as well. So that's that's one um, that you're, you're probably going to need to do. And then pull out anything you think you're going to need for the first, I would say two to three weeks. I was thinking, you know, people told me, oh, your first few days, pull out what you'll need for the first few days. Like that like massively underestimated how long it was going to take us to get through our stuff. I didn't find most of my pots and pans for three weeks. And so... Because it just happened to be in the bottom box. Like it was the last box we got to in the kitchen for, for whatever reason. And, and so we were working with one saucepan, one frying pan, and one like bacon cooking pan that for whatever reason like made it out. And so that's what we had to cook with for, for three weeks. So I would recommend being a little bit more judicious and thinking, what do I use in a two-week period? And that stuff. I mean, we're talking towels, laundry detergent any of that sort of thing, make sure you have. Did you kick your kids out or send them somewhere so you could unpack? Because I think I really want to do that. No. I mean, you know, I, especially if your kids are like old enough that they can just watch TV, I'm not sure that it's really going to be all that necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like, or I have to put the TV up. (laughs) Do that first. Like we, we put up, we put up the um, computer and television, like, like absolutely first, right? Like that that's, and plus they have their devices, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like modern children who are over about age six, like have a built-in entertainment, like in the form of a device, if you need to avail yourselves of that. Obviously, you can't have them underfoot while movers are actually moving things in and out. So, but they, I mean, our movers, again, with it, a local move, they work basically like an eight to four day for packing. So the children were in school during that time. And then when the moving crew was there, they were, you know, again, the eight to four time they were in school. And so then that just left a couple hours in the evening when things sort of took a longer time, one of the days to finish up. So we just kind of sent them off to one corner of the house, like kept them over there and out of, you know, out of range. I think mine would be all up in the boxes wanting to unpack. I don't know. I, I think I'm going to send them away somehow, like to our nannies or to a friend's yeah. sleep. Not for like a long time, but like, hey, what a good night to sleep over your friend's house. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. If, if I, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying like, if it doesn't work out, like you... You know, it wouldn't be the, it end, wouldn't of the, be the end of the world. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And you're right. Like I always have it in my mind that I'm going to unpack everything instantly. Like you won't. It's just, it's just not. I possible. just don't think it's reasonable to expect that of yourself. I mean, because it's not like you're going to stop working and stop having three children. Like they, they, they're all still going to be there. Like we've tried to kind of pace ourselves on this. That it was so overwhelming at first, but if you commit to doing, like, if both adults in the household, let's say, do two boxes a day. Well, four a day, you know, 28 a week, like, I don't know, you have a hundred boxes, that's four weeks, like you're done. And if the children are doing anything, then that's additional. You just have to keep going. Like you don't necessarily feel on Tuesday night, like unpacking two boxes, but like you probably should do at least one and, you know, know that you'll do three on the weekend or whatever, but just to maintain that pace. So it's keeps moving forward. No, that makes sense. Ugh, I want to be done. It's a while off. <laughs> I mean, we're not done, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's just, 
it's a process. It's like, it's not going to be perfect, but eventually it will be done. And, you know, I say as somebody who just spent hours yesterday waiting for the furniture to get delivered that wasn't delivered, it just, ah, you know, it's fine. (laughs) One day at a time. One day at a time. At least we don't, oh, I know what I wanted to mention um, related to moving, which is moving schools. Mm. Because you didn't do it this time, but I did do it last time. And I guess I would share that we did move in the middle of the school year. It was not the worst thing. We moved like over winter break. So it was like, okay, you left for the holiday and then you started at a new school. I think it was mildly stressful for Annabelle, but she got over it pretty quickly. She was going in first grade from one really good public school to another one. I have one regret, which is that Cameron went from like a Reggio style preschool to like a much more regimented one. And that is like a contrast. So if I could have done it all over again, I would have looked for a school with more similar vibes because I feel like all of a sudden he was in trouble for things that were like charming and cute at the first school. And that's like a rude awakening. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he survived. But (laughs) if you're going to switch your kids in the middle of a year, you might want to at least think about like, does the school have similar disciplinary processes and philosophies if possible? Because I could have like, but I didn't know the local landscape as well. Like now I'm like, oh, it would have been obvious. I could have sent him here or here. And I didn't you can't get everything right i mean you just can't make every decision perfectly it's uh, you have to sort of give yourself some compassion understanding for this there's so many decisions to be made and they they won't all be perfect we i mean which which leads us to our question of reestablishing or improving upon routines in a new place because when you think about many of your routines turn out to be somewhat place-based i mean they're based on your your space and and they will change when you move and especially when you have a big family, that can be very disruptive and probably more so for many of our listeners who are accustomed to building very good routines. I mean, if we had listeners whose lives were chaotic all the time, I'd be like, whatever, it's now chaotic in a new place. Like, so what? But that is probably not our listeners. Our listeners have thought through every detail of their day to optimize and now they have to change it. So, I mean, there's some things you just can't really know. We had become accustomed to our local school buses picking up our kids at our driveway. We now know that that does not happen (laughs) universally. And our buses don't come up our street, don't come up our hill. I don't know if it's hard to turn around. I'd be happy to have them turn around in my driveway, but whatever. I, I don't know if there's a process you can petition for that. The key thing here is they they pick them up at the bottom of the hill. It's a long way down. You know, they could walk through our yard, but our neighbors have put like hedges right at the edge. So they'd be in the road there. It's a busy road where the intersection crosses. Like we tried it for one day and it was like, no, no. So the older boys get driven to school, which is, it's very quick for both of them. And because we didn't want them waiting in the dark at the bottom of the hill in this busy road, but they can take the bus home. They take the bus home. And because we trust them to get off and, you know, make their way up the hill, that they can do that. Wait, are they at the same school now? I'm like losing track. One's in middle school, one's in high school. The elementary school age kids just, we, because our nanny went to wait for them like the first day. She said the bus driver was like laying on his horn trying to get people to stop because they have to come around a curve. And so, you know, he didn't open the door until traffic was stopped both directions. Like, so until somebody came along and had stopped, you know, so that they would stop the rest of the traffic. 
but I was just like, oh my, like, no, like, and I don't want her waiting there, like, you know, with, to on a busy corner. So anyway, she now drives them and picks them up. Driving is easy. Picking up is a bit of a pain because it's the car line, which apparently we have a very intense car line. Usually when I would pick them up, I would do what we call student pickup, which is you park and you go right to the door and they come out and it's very quick. But since she often has the toddler with her at pickup time, because we can't guarantee we'll be here, you know, be able to take him for, you know, the 30, 40 minutes it would be to go that she does the car line and it's a long car line. (laughs) That was our local elementary intense Intense car car line. line. I don't miss it at all. (laughs) So, you know, we've had to change our routines based on that. But, you know, like if, if I'm here, you know, like and he's asleep, for instance, I don't usually she doesn't have to wake him up to take him, you know, I'll, I'll let him nap or whatever. But yeah, we don't want to be switching back and forth daily from one way to another. And so we just said, we'll we'll do the pickup. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> the routine for us that I think is going to change that I'm kind of looking forward to is that they're going to be all going to bed in their own rooms. Ooh. So I think that will listen, I'm not going to lie on all of their floors. Like it's not <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> So either we'll figure out some sort of rotation or maybe it'll just be like a natural end to that process. And then the other thing is that there are a lot more kids in the very immediate area, um, some of which my kids already know. So I'm hoping that lends itself to more like around the block kind of playing. One of the girls is Annabelle's age and takes tennis lessons in our complex where they ride. she rides her own bike to the lesson. And I'm like, oh my God, Annabelle could transport herself to an activity. Like, how cool is that? So I'm excited for those kinds of routines. Oh, that's going to be nice. And yeah, there's obviously going to be like the the bus thing is kind of a, you know, unfortunate (laughs) thing that was not anticipated. But, you know, there's other routines that have gotten better. I mean, among other things, like the baby, we have not had middle of the night wake-ups. And it's just that I think we're slightly further from him. And now that he has his own room, and and so maybe he wakes up, but we don't hear it. And he's not looking traumatized in the morning. So given that he's over two years old, we're just going to like run with it. And, you know, I mean, there's some nice things like my husband and I now have a, a fireplace in our room. You know, we, we convert, it was because it's such an old house. Like it was at one point, like how they heated the room, but you know, we converted it to a gas fireplace. So we turn it on with a remote control and it's kind of nice because you can just sit there and have a little, you know, cuddle on the couch and with the fire. And it's, it's really, you know, we didn't have that before. So it's a, you know, there's some nice new routines. So that's good. Last question I want to ask is tips for selling while you are still living in your house. So Sarah, you guys attempted and then stopped, right? (laughs) Or like you didn't even, it was a, I almost am like, my tip is if the market is bad, just give up and rent. (laughs) But I mean, I wasn't going to listen to that advice two years ago. So who knows? I mean, right now it's such a seller's market. Yeah. So I don't have any selling tips because I didn't. I haven't sold in the current climate, which I'm sure is very different than my experience. Yeah, it was hard to know. I mean, we we had a reasonable number of people come through and we had the requirement that we had to have 24 hours notice just because you can't. I mean, I you know, because we had to get out of the house every time. And so it's like, you can't just like leave at 2 p.m., you know, and and find another place to go. I mean, sometimes we did. My husband and I would go work in the garage over here. Um, but it was, you know, it was hard to get everyone out. 
what we did is we had gotten a lot of stuff out of closets and again, put it in the garage over here. So decluttered down to a spot where there was just less stuff in it. And then figured that we were approximately an hour from having the house be presentable. Now, of course, we did have to do that hour like every time because, you know, the kids would put toys out, you know, so we'd have to pick up the base and we'd go through like who put toothpaste all over their cabinet, you know, their countertop or over the mirror. Like, how do you even get toothpaste on the mirror? I don't get it. You know, and then a house full of little boys using bathrooms always need to check that everything has gone where it should. And, you know, cleaning up the kitchen, decluttering and stuff like that. But yeah, it'd take an hour and then we'd have to get out of the house. And, you know, it was, it was kind of painful. <laughs> like, I know there's no other way to describe this, but on some level, it's just a, a money thing. Like, if you can convince yourself that it is actually a pretty good payment back on your time for doing this, because most likely... When you're negotiating for a house, there's often like at the end, it's it's small amounts compared to the size of the house purchase. But like objectively, it's not small amounts of money. Like, you know, even if you're talking about one or two thousand dollars, you wouldn't just, you know, go blow two thousand dollars in a store on a random day. Like it actually is is a lot of money, even if it's like two thousand is, you know, a small percentage of what your house price is. So like if you could convince yourself of that, it kind of helps like, oh, yeah, you know, we're all going to spend an hour cleaning up. But on the other hand, this is probably, you know, if it gets it sold, like, again, a month faster than it would have, if it gets it sold for even one or $2,000 more than it would have, like the return on that hour is, is fairly good. So I don't know, that's just mentally what I tried to do. No, that's good. That's good. Helps you get through it and makes it seem worth it rather than painful waste of time. Exactly. All right, well, let's go to our, our question and answer for this. So Sarah, I'll, I'll put this to you first. This listener is reaching out regarding the cry it out method for babies. So her partner and her are from different cultures and are having trouble agreeing on what is the right thing to do with their baby. So in the U.S., so this listener is, is not from the U.S. originally and her, her partner is. They said she keeps hearing the advice to let the baby cry it out. It's awful for two weeks, and then he will never cry at night again. However, in her culture, they absolutely do not leave a baby crying for any length of time. Also, as a first-time mom, she doesn't think she can do it without listening to the crying, without rushing to help. She already has some anxiety. So when the baby cries, she imagines that the absolute worst thing is happening. So they have survived to nine months. The child most of the time sleeps through the night at this point, but they would like to have other children eventually. So she's wondering if there is a way not to have the first nine months um, be up all the time. Uh, And, you know, if it's possible that a strict routine would help with avoiding some of that sleep deprivation. So what do you think, Sarah? I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I do think from what I've read there isn't really strong evidence that cry it out like ruins your child or anything. So I don't think there's necessarily harm in trying it. It's more the question of whether it makes you super comfortable. And as Laura will get to how effective it is, because that can depend on the kid. For us, we did kind of a modified version where I would try some like cry it out when we first put them down if they were still awake to help them learn how to you know go to sleep when all the bedtime cues were there. But I was never one of those like, oh, I'm going to have my baby sleep 12 hours kind of a person because 
I was pumping and I knew that my baby might be hungry. And so I'd rather feed them overnight than like not. I mean, it just it just didn't make logical sense to me if they were getting their nutrition for me and I knew the pump wasn't necessarily as great at extracting. Like it didn't seem fair to deprive them. And I also was lucky to have babies where like when I fed them overnight, there was no soothing necessary. It was like, you eat, I plunk you back down and I go back to sleep. <laughs> so there was no training needed. At some point when I weaned my kids, like uh, depending on the age or when I just made a decision that like they did not need to eat overnight anymore, like Genevieve nursed until like 20 months. But I think at 12 or 13 months, I was like, you do not need to eat in the middle of the night. Like you're eating meals, like you're fine. We did do like a a brief cry it out. And I guess it worked because I don't feel like I have a lot of like bad memories from it. But I don't know. I, I, I could see it being very difficult when the kids are really little and they're still needing to eat anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's one of the things to think about here. There is very different approaches of this in different cultures. And I read a book, uh, it was like an anthropological book a couple of years ago that pointing out that it's true. Like in like some places, they were shown videos of like American mothers with their kids crying on a changing table, like while they're being changed. And like people were like horrified, like that you don't pick up a baby as soon as they're crying. It's just like everyone's different, right? Like different places are different. And yet kids are fine everywhere, right? Like most children are fine anywhere, like no matter what you grow up with. So, you know, there's there's some places where no one would ever do cry it out. There's some places where everyone does cry it out. And it's like the kids are fine regardless. So you can take with that what you will. Like if you think cry it out is going to be hard for you, then don't do it. Like if you're not going to be able to do it, like then don't tell yourself you will. But if you think you want to try it, again, don't think you're hurting your baby. Your baby is probably going to be fine. So I guess it's really just, you know, totally up to you. And there is not one right way to do it. The question is, is it effective? For some kids, it might be. And for other kids, it's not. (laughs) So there you go. We, you know, there are some children that, as you said, like, you know, they, they cry for people like, well, I just let them cry for 20 minutes. And then I never had to do anything ever again. It's like, well, you know, you got a good sleeper. Like, just be happy about that. And maybe they needed a little bit of figuring out how to fuss a little and put themselves to sleep. And that's great. Like, you should enjoy that. And that doesn't mean your your child is, I would put this, it doesn't mean you're a great parent. You probably are, but that in and of itself does not mean that you are a better parent than somebody whose child does not do that. Because some kids don't do that. And I know this from five children. Some of my kids were better about going to sleep than others. Some you could, you know, fuss for 10 minutes and mostly they'd figure it out. Others will fuss for hours and still never figure it out. And it would be night after night after night. And so then you have to figure out other ways. And, you know, it does get better over time. Like, as you noted, your nine month old is sleeping. And so, you know, I guess I could say do what you want and just you might experiment as well because it might work and it might not work too. Like you don't have to commit yourself to one thing or the other. All right, so let's quick do a love of the week. What's rocking your world this week, Sarah? I will say I have been enjoying reading a lot of different book lists for the new year. I think I started with Modern Mrs. Darcy, but then she invited like everybody else to post where they put their 2022 reading list. And I just had fun perusing all these different lists that people made because it's just, I got lots of my own ideas from it. So yeah, I guess reading other people's reading lists is my love of the week. Excellent. So my my idea of my love of the week is having one drawer that is officially drawer where things don't have another home. 
So as a category, you know, when you're trying to put things away, like you can be stymied for a long time with like a pile of stuff that you just don't know where to put it, right? Like it doesn't fit any of the obvious other categories of, you know, you've put different drawers or different closets or different places where things go. And so this is a drawer of stuff that does not have another home. And, you know, some people have like a junk drawer or whatever, but I sort of think of it as junk drawers where you put specific things like, you know, rubber bands and pencils and, and you know, whatever. This is more random. And we now have one in the kitchen that has a lot of random stuff in it. But the kitchen counter is finally mostly cleared off. And it was never going to be if I was like trying to come up with categories that were, you know, mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive for the organizing. So that is what we do. An other. Can you name a couple items that are in this drawer? So there is a bin with some crayons in it. There is a Tyrannosaurus Rex head that is a cup. There is a pool toy. There is a few uh, like decorative things children have made, but that they, you know, I haven't quite gotten around to doing something with yet. There's, yeah, it's it's really stuff like that. I like it. I like it. It's the miscellaneous. 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 All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We have been talking moving and home renovation. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.